Hi. Elka, how are you? I'm good. How are you? I am good. Yeah. Just so you know, I already we're already recording, but I I probably won't start here. But just so you know, I'm already recording. Okay, no problem. Some people have been surprised by it in the in the past. I'm always ready. Okay, always on. <laughs> always on. nice. So off. What's <laughs> off? <laughs> There's no such thing. <laughs> no. Yeah. Nice to meet you here, though. Nice to to formally meet you. I realize uh, we crossed paths in Toronto like three or four years ago. Yes. For the I was at, yeah, I don't think we were partnered for anything, but uh, we definitely crossed paths there. Yes. Yes. That seems like so long ago, but yes, we were there. <laughs> yeah. Such a different world. Very much so. Yes. Yeah. yeah. But, but, um, and then I've also noticed that like, you know, I feel like every time I see, uh, um, like fighting monkey videos pop up, it's like, you're always like there somewhere, like front row in the middle something. And I'm like, oh, super jealous seeing like, you know, I don't know where it was. I think maybe you, you were in Europe somewhere recently. Yes. I, I went to the intensive uh, in Olympia. Awesome. So, yes, this was this was pretty special at, at this time. But I mean, I it's you know, as in North America, it's a bit harder to attend the the um, international events. So mm -hmm. when when I'm there, it's <laughs> yeah. The best but yeah, I know this feeling of also seeing it from afar. And like, oh. <laughs> yeah. Well, especially like you said, like during this time when you're seeing people like, oh, like those are the things that we're missing. That's what we want. Yes. I mean it was um, kind of a shock to go over there and, and all of a sudden we're in rooms with people and you're moving through space and is in Toronto where I am. This is not the case. This hasn't been the case for a very long time. So yeah. yeah. Are yeah. you from Toronto originally? I'm from just outside of Toronto, like an hour and a half outside, but yes, I've been here now um, with voyages to live in Europe for a bit um, since 2000. Okay. So like, yeah, 20 years off and on. Yeah. My my wife and her family are all from Toronto. Oh wow! Okay. Yeah, so you know my my in laws. Yeah, well, one of them was born there. The other one was born in England, but lived in Toronto like you know most of his like childhood and everything. And then my wife was born there and lived there till she was three. Mm -hmm. So she has a passport. And my dad was born in Montreal. I've never been, um, but I have a passport as well. So there's actually been talks throughout this whole thing where it's like, I don't know, Canada may be where we are headed next. <laughs> right. <laughs> I can understand. Yeah, I can understand for sure. <laughs> well, let's yeah. see, are you familiar with, with Toronto and, and like the, the scene? I've only been there a couple times. Yeah. Um, one of them was for the workshop and then a couple other family things with my wife, but I almost feel like I know it well because like, I don't know if you've like hung out with Canadians in the United States, but when you hang out with Canadians in the United States, their favorite topic is Canada. So, <laughs> so I've, I've, I feel like I've absorbed a lot of like Canadian information and specifically like Toronto information just from being like part of the family. Fair, fair. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't realize that about us Canadians. That's interesting. I'll, I'll look for that next time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The next time you're in the U.S., listen closely. And you, it always comes back to like, oh, you know, Canada, this. And and I realized there's a lot of pride. One of my best friends was from Canada, from Toronto. Uh -huh. And it was like everything from like the maple leaves to the healthcare. everything was always just like, ah, oh, you're missing out. 
it's amazing. I think somehow there's this feeling that we have to compare back yeah. Like there has to be this sort of difference between us in a way. And then, but then we, yeah, there's, there's pros and cons, I think. To, to yeah. Situations. Yeah. Yeah. Well, then I, and the other thing I realized too, is that like, despite all like the, uh, I realized like the, the, the Canadian pride or whatever the, whatever the word is, mm-hmm. then there's kind of these internal funny rivalries. So like half of my wife's family lives in Vancouver. Okay. So there's this, like, I realized this like Vancouver, Toronto thing. Like There's the coast. Yeah. 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 You're right. Oh, that's so funny. Yeah. 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 You, do you, so you teach at the spirit loft, yeah? Yes. Up until the point where we could no longer teach in the spaces. Yes. Mm-hmm. But I still, am, I'm still connected with them. And now we've taken the practices outside. Okay. So now they have um, what they call the lots that we, I do teach in their, in their lot. Yeah. Yes. But Very the reason cool. I connected with them was because um, I just come back to Toronto. I think that's from living in Brussels. I was teaching more yoga at the time, actually. Mm-hmm. And um, I saw, I was looking for studios to teach at. And I saw that Spirit Loft was hosting Fighting Monkey. And as mm-hmm. soon as I saw that, I was like, this studio, <laughs> this is where I'm going. <laughs> because I, there was no other, like, a better indicator of where I belong than this studio is bringing them. These are my, these are my people. <laughs> yeah. 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 I had the opportunity to, to connect with them just briefly. And then my wife, Alexa, when she was out there for a family thing, got to go and take a class there and just had like the best things to say uh, about that, like basically the whole crew. And again, it was one of those things where like, Hey, well, listen, the spirit lofts in Toronto. If we decide to like go to Canada, it seems like not a bad place to like, you know, direct ourselves. <laughs> <laughs> I also because I I, um, uh, I was looking also at your at your website and and the beliefs of of your of your space when you had yeah. it are are very like identical almost actually I think to the the philosophy of what Spirit Loft is trying to do so oh well, yeah well that means a lot because I have a, a a ton of respect and again I feel like it was almost similar in the sense that like because I went to that fighting monkey workshop and it was hosted again by them at that time as well. And feeling that same feeling like, Oh, like this is, this feels interesting to me. Like this, there, there's, I don't know, some parallel thinking. There's some, some similar ideas. Completely. Yes. Yes. There's a, yeah. It's It's amazing how, when you, when you see that in a space or in, you know, a group that's bringing someone that you understand the values that they're, Mm -hmm they're putting forward in the movement world and that yeah it's almost that it doesn't have to be even spoken about so much like yep this is this just says a lot yeah yeah I've I've thought a lot about it more so recently and when I think of like that experience out there and when I think of like what I observe in the spirit loft and then the, the the work that I've seen you doing I and I had this conversation with someone recently I was saying that like what's funny about movement is it's supposed to be about shedding rigidity, right? Like that we're supposed to be adaptable and prepared for uncertain scenarios. And I said today, and I think I kind of stole it from uh, the yoga sutras and kind of reworded it my way, but it was like, you know, we're not trying to get good at being in control. We're trying to get good at not being in control. But then- Super. The irony, though, is that I, as I observe some things, 
people enter this movement thing being like, I want to be adaptable and I want to shed the rigidity and I want to be prepared for the uncertainties of life. And then they come almost full circle all the way back around to being rigid within what they think movement is. Yes. And I think what I really respect about when I see kind of the work you're doing and when I look at the work that Fighting Monkey's doing and the stuff that they've put out and I've read and, and, and observed and, and played with myself, I'm like, what, what that is is really beautiful to me because it's, it's not coming back around and trying to define what movement is. In some ways, it's almost continuing to be like, no, keep going. Yes, yes. I, I just you know as as I speak, usually I write little notes because I'm uh -huh. having multiple thoughts at once. So I'm, uh -huh. I'm writing notes as I'm listening to you. So just so uh -huh. yeah, yes. Um, yes, completely. It's like what I'm trying to do at the moment because of our the unique situation we find ourselves in is that I realize that um, I. Uh, I don't want to have a system that I follow, like what you're saying, you know, we become rigid, rigidified, I guess, by, by these systems that we ascribe to. I didn't want that. But how, how then do I find containment in a practice when I don't have a teacher who's leading me? Essentially, like how do I define the boundaries of my practice without making it a system? Mm -hmm. And so I was, I was, I've been really I started teaching, I, I came back from Brussels in March during the pandemic, like just as it was starting. Mm -hmm. So I had to be quarantined right away when I got back. And it was like immediately the day after I got back, I'm like, I'm online, I'm teaching because I, I really feel there's this need to, to be connected to one another in order to keep my own personal practice, not only my teaching practice from hardening or becoming too insular. Mm -hmm. And I, I would say that that again, would be kind of going more towards a system. Mm -hmm. So all that to say that when mm -hmm. I'm doing the, the work that I'm doing now, um, I feel like we, um, it's not like we, we think we go towards total freedom mm -hmm. with it. So um, whereas when we get to that point where it'd be like uh, a paralysis of choice kind of thing where we just go completely free and then we don't know what to choose. And then we kind of boomerang maybe back to finding this rigid place, but mm -hmm. how do we contain, how do we harness freedom in a direction to make it a practice? And mm -hmm. so all of the improvisation work that I'm doing, all of this, um, I call it dance as a practice. It's based on fighting monkey work um, is, is investigating this idea. Mm. A very long-winded way to come to my point. But. I think I think that that's really interesting because it, it it reminds me of the the opportunities I've had to to work with Tom Wexler, mm. and it's it, it and it's speaking to that a little bit of like well, here's like the undefined, and we'll we'll put that here and we're going to work on that, yes. and then here's some like technique and some words and we're going to work on that, and then here's some opportunities to do whatever you want now that you have these two kind of things yes. and, it, and again it didn't feel it didn't it, it didn't feel systematized yes. it almost felt like suggestions yes I completely understand what you mean having done work with Tom um yes because how do I how do I explain this I think um hmm it's necessary to have both to understand where they intersect and how to, let's say, um, 
utilize the best of both worlds. Mm -hmm. So I'll use my dance experience as an example. Like when we do dance practices, we improvise a lot. We do a lot of improvisation to generate material for creation as our practice. But often what happens is that we are sort of given a lot of free reign in terms of the movement vocabulary we use. Mm -hmm. And then when it ends up happening, it just becomes like your greatest hits. It mm -hmm. ends up inevitably going there because as you peep patterns, you get really good at certain things. You chase the dragon of having bigger and bigger tricks, this mm -hmm. kind of thing. So then your improvisations reflect that without having um, the, the boundaries on those mm -hmm. improvisations that, for example, Fighting Monkey does mm -hmm. uh, and Tom does where there's like a suggestion or there's mm -hmm. like a task or a philosophy behind it as opposed to saying move like this exactly like this or go free it's like the this nice meeting place in the middle mm -hmm. yeah and it makes me think that like again to to almost not that i have enough experience in other cultures but i from what i read and when i have conversations it's like this like very western thing to like hop on like linear progressions things need to have words you know, it's that thing of like control. Like it's the, it, these things give you the illusion of control. Yes. And, and, and what you're describing and what we're talking about is like, you know, just so this reminder that like, we're not in control and we should embrace that piece. Yes. And, and, you know, and I, when I talked to Yosef, I, I, I said this, that, people get caught up on like the content, right? Like I think that like, sometimes it's easy when someone like watches a video of me doing something or watches a video of you doing something to get caught up on the content of the video as opposed to being like, or, or the content of the game or the content of the material and be like, oh, it's about the content. And it's like, well, maybe the content is actually a vehicle for the bigger thing. Yes. No. And the other things kind of happen along the way on the road to the bigger thing. And sometimes I struggle like trying to be like, well, what is, how do I put the bigger thing into words? And maybe I don't have to, you know, sometimes I think we spend too much time trying to like put the words out there when like we all kind of know. Yes. Or like, you know, when you go through the process, you're like, it's there. And then I kind of come back to like, well, freedom of movement, relative freedom of movement, like whatever that is. And these are all just like the tools to like, let people have that. So like, I think I'm just going a long way to just reinforce this idea of like people not getting so caught up on the content and really embracing like the, the broader message of what's coming through. Yes. Yes. Because mm -hmm. if we, if we go to that idea too, that when people are watching videos of movers, um, let's say they're watching um, a task, a video of a fighting monkey task. I'll use my mm -hmm. own um, reference they wouldn't, unless explained, have any idea where that movement is being generated from. They mm -hmm. just see the movement and they say, oh, that was an interesting extension. That was an interesting spin, whatever, if they have no context for what actually is happening. And in that way, um, two tasks that are very different can actually look very much, they could be from the outside looking almost identical, but mm -hmm. what they're working on on the inside is, is different and that makes a difference to the experience mm -hmm. of what's what's being taught or learned mm -hmm. so I think it's our also need or in our let's say fitness world the the, the mm, desire to follow aesthetic 
And I mm-hmm. say this very broadly, like mm-hmm. super broad in all its facets that we're following aesthetic and that how can we understand that? And I think even in, in your mandate, maybe you said something like this. Mm-hmm. I can't remember. I have like a note here about this. Mm-hmm. I was like, yes. Mm-hmm. What was it? it was um, fitness is a byproduct of the exploration. You mm-hmm. said something like this. So mm-hmm. it's the fitness yes of course you want to be healthy we want to be fast we want to be adaptable all these things but the that comes from a certain type of exploration mm-hmm. um, that is not a, always completely visible when you watch content mm-hmm. because you're not understanding or witnessing or experiencing actually the um the exploration that's occurring mm-hmm. so only have a part of the knowledge that is actually being experienced and this is what is so difficult <laughs> In these mm-hmm. moments of our world because mm-hmm. the experience is now fundamentally changed for the time being hopefully mm-hmm. of not being in space with each other not being able to see 360 all the time or, or see a body moving through space mm-hmm. so the challenge of the of this 2d screen uh for our world i think is uh like i mean our work world our our play world is 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 big that remedy. Right. And, and it's left people like kind of on the, the Facebooks and Instagrams more and longer, right? So they're caught up a little bit, maybe more like in these aesthetics. And I was saying I was I was on a podcast yesterday and I was saying that like in the movement world, people almost like they're becoming collectors, right? Yeah. Like collectors of moves, you know, and it's like I can do an acrobatic movement or uh, a handstand, blah, whatever. And it's just like, well, none of that really matters. You know, like what, what, what matters is the, is the bigger thing. Like, let's like not be collectors. The people who interest me more are the people who are, are, are able to deal with uncertainty. Like that's very impressive. I was on a hike the other day and I was behind this friend of mine and I knew that he's, he has that like, you know, that like nimbleness of like a dancer because he's just done a lot of different things. Yes. And he was walking his dog down the mountain, like this really like rocky hike. And the dog was like dragging him and he was kind of just like mountain goading down the mountain. <laughs> and I'm like, that's amazing. But nobody cares to see that on Instagram, but like that's, yes, it's amazing. I mean, People yes. like can stand on their hands, but they can't organize over their feet. Yes. Right. Yes, yes completely. Mm-hmm. It's so amazing that you actually say this because on the metro back here today, I was mm-hmm. just thinking about how. Um, now I haven't fully formulated this, so this is fresh. <laughs> this maybe uh, requires some some finessing, but I was thinking, you know, when. Uh, being a better mover, like quote unquote, is not about how many things that you collect. It's mm-hmm. about how you experience the interrelations between the movement. So mm-hmm. the the intelligence of being able to connect disparate things or to be able to go down a mountain where you have to problem solve and not, okay, I'm working on jumping. I'm working on understanding articulation of my feet. I'm working on like fast movement. I'm working on balance. Like all these things are in there, but they're in such complexity that um, uh, collecting these things and, and keeping them separate, like balance is over here and footwork is over here and we don't put them into relation with one another is not gonna serve us in becoming better movers. Right. 
Right. It, 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 it's not going to like, it potentially won't yes. feed our, 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 our high potential for creative expression. Cause that's what I was thinking to myself as I'm watching this guy go down the mountain. I'm like, this is creative expression. He doesn't consider himself an artist in this moment, but it's artistry what he's doing. It's improvising. It's exactly what it is. And I was like, this is beautiful, but it's like, nobody, that's not what's going to pop on Instagram. Although in terms of, and I think this is more along the, the language that, that Yosef and Linda use of like healthy aging, this is, this is it, yes. you know? And that's uh, amazing. I think that's what I appreciate about it as well. And I think people oftentimes will look at things like the dance work um, and they'll think, oh, it's about becoming a better dancer. And it's like, dance is just a word. We <laughs> could consider dance when we walk down the street right? Again, it's like the dance is the vehicle for the other things, whether it's, whether it's mobility, right? Or whether it's footwork or whether it's balance or whether it's coordination or learning how you learn or learning how someone else learns. Um, Again, it speaks to what you're saying, people getting caught up on like this aesthetic. And I realize it's, I guess maybe it's, it's our job to try to express that in, in other ways, like that message, but I think it, it, it's an interesting uphill fight, I think, in in Western culture where it's, you know, collectors, linear thinking, um, addiction to competence, right? Yes, yes completely. Mm-hmm. I had a thought near the beginning where you were saying um, that if, if people were to watch this guy go down in this essentially movement improvisation, problem solving in real time through your body, mm-hmm. um, I think... I think what we, uh, we are used to, how do I say this, interpreting movement that we see and Mm -hmm. understanding that like a harmony, a flow, whatever, we can see this after having been perhaps watching many bodies move through time, understanding how, um, what is a successful mover in terms of he's making it down the hill. So this, this equals this. Mm -hmm. And I was just had this discussion with a student of mine because I asked him to film himself doing things Mm -hmm. and, um, and he also said he likes doing this, but the problem he has with this is he doesn't even know what he's looking at. Mm-hmm. When he's doing an improvisation, he's not sure. He hasn't practiced watching for the things that we are talking about. Mm-hmm. And I think that watching um, and that being able to understand um, this, this <laughs> movement essence that we're talking about also mm-hmm. requires uh, an eye. For, mm-hmm. And I don't know that I, I think just comes from having the experience yourself being into relation with other people who are moving, understanding this idea of what uh, successful problem solving and movement looks like, um, mm-hmm. as opposed to looking for like in dance, the highest kick or, you know, athletics, the highest jump, like whatever mm-hmm. uh, quantitative thing we're mm-hmm. looking for, as opposed to qualitative. So looking yeah. at it that way. It was interesting it makes me think I was teaching some coordination patterns to a class today. Mm-hmm. And I've been doing this thing. It was based on a couple of different conversations and some things that I read. Just this observation that like, depending on where you grew up and how you grew up, the lens you see and experience the world through is completely different than the person standing next to you. You know? So like, there's something to like the sharing of information, but I was like, 
so I do like a coordination piece and I'm like, all right, now grab a partner and, and communicate what's happening to each other and teach it to one another. Even if you stink at it, make your partner better than you are. And as I'm kind of walking around and listening, like I hear like a bunch of like technical jargon, you know, and, and, you know, whatever, like flexion, extension, or even just like very clearly explaining what something is. And I just said, you know, how about you guys try to teach each other by saying what it's like, not what it is. Ah, nice. Yes. You know, like, yes. Speak in story, speak in analogy. And not that I'm the best at it, but I've come to realize like the power of story, you know, like even when I write my blog, like I, I try to harness it to story because I think that that's the thing that we, we grab onto. And even like, you know, old, like religious scriptures are told in story to like share more important messages. And, and then again, it's like, then you're, you're learning how other people see things through their stories, as opposed to how they see things super technically. Yes. And I think that there's something there that I haven't like put my finger on quite yet, but I, I think it, it it speaks to like learning how to like observe movement by communicating with other people as well. Yes, yes. I can say this in fighting monkey terms because mm -hmm. I feel like um, when we are storytelling, we are able to convey much more complex um, ideas than if we were to try to break those ideas into their technical jargon. Because mm -hmm. a descriptive way of telling something encompasses all kinds of little nuance that we can feel mm -hmm. when we hear the story or tell the story, but to actually describe and break that down into something that's like that, 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 like technical, it would take us a year to try to maybe yeah. technically break down a story. And this is what in fighting monkey coordinations we're trying to do. We're trying to mm -hmm. teach in full complexity because mm -hmm. also the, the idea is that, yes, I could break something down and teach it to you step by step, but then you're getting my lens. Mm -hmm. You're getting my, how I learned it, how I would teach it to you. And then kind of unconsciously or blindly, we take that as base Mm -hmm. and are unable to um, connect to these things that you're saying, like, tell what it's like. Mm -hmm. Like, I, I see this action as a throw, but someone else may see this as like a, a, a axe or mm -hmm. in dance, we see it as just like an abstract gesture. But mm -hmm. it's like, if I say this is picking up a ball, um, this is picking up a ball, this is throwing a ball, mm -hmm. instead of saying, this is like throwing a ball or throwing a rock or throwing a hammer or whatever. This, this adds already freedom to understand it in a more complex and dynamic way. Yeah. I like that you use the word complex because I think technical like has the potential to really simplify, right? Mm -hmm. These things that are really complex. And like, when I think of like the, the research I've, I've had the opportunity to do with some of the fighting monkey coordinations is like, they're highly complex and not in the way of like, you know, rub your tummy and pat your head. They're complex in, in the terms of the interconnectedness of the body and the harmony and unity between the, the entire body. Yes. That's the complexity. So like if I say your arm needs to go up and down, well, now people are caught up on the arm. 
as opposed to like when you say what something's like, like you said, oh, it's like throwing an ax. Oh, well, I know that my arm is involved in all these other things happen that I probably can't even explain. That's like the, that's the storytelling, you know? Yes. yes. If we say also, let's use the ax example. If I say it is like I'm throwing an ax and someone hasn't had a throwing ax experience and they're kind of like at a loss, right? Mm -hmm. if that's not their experience. So mm -hmm. it's like when you say, um, it is like, or it could feel like this, uh, it opens things up for people to have their history inform mm -hmm. their present. Because wow, they, I love that. Yeah, they have a different <laughs> history. Mm -hmm. So their language, their code, I, mm -hmm. we can't even unpack all of that mm -hmm. in, in enough time, <laughs> in a short mm -hmm. enough time to be able to address that in a class situation, you can't. Right. So you, you have to keep things more open. It's like, I think about you try to uh i'm gonna put this in like computer terms and i'm not a computer person so mm -hmm. bear with me but it's like when you try to put two different systems together and mm -hmm. they're not compatible their codes don't work so it's like nope this is just not gonna not gonna work and i think this is why so many people for example shy away from dance because it's taught in a language often that is not accessible to people who haven't had years of dance language dance mm -hmm. is not scary if you can bring it into movement terms that everybody can connect to. Mm -hmm. And it's like thinking about things in binary versus like quantum computing. It's like mm -hmm. we, we think we we sim try to simplify it to this like binary place, but really movement is like <laughs> this quantum, like, yeah, this. Yeah. Well, that's, that, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Twirling the hands. But I, <laughs> But I, 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 I just, I couldn't agree more. I just feel like it's this, like, it, it's this, such this uphill battle with like telling, you know, trying to, to break from the definitions, from the words, you know? And, you know, I think back to being in that fighting monkey workshop and then a couple of the, the opportunities I've had to, to, to research more of, of their work. And I think of like, again, like being a part of Tom's thing and even those places, there's not a lot of words. You know, like, I feel like oftentimes someone will be like, oh, like, what do you call that thing? And, and one of them will just be like, oh, I don't know, like bouncing elbows or that's, uh, <laughs> it's, it's kind of like a, I don't know, it's like the, the weight shift thing. <laughs> and, and I think it gives people the opportunity to create their own words for it. Like you said, kind of bringing their own history to what the thing is. And then when you have to like, then look at something and like, create your own words for it or your own poetry or whatever it is, or your own drawing, it, 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 it sticks in a different way. It's like you, you, you have some sort of like ownership of it. Yes. Yes. Oh, I have so many thoughts. One about this one particularly is it's, um, I remember that a friend of mine went through the Waldorf type of schooling, which is, mm -hmm. I don't know if you have that in the States, but it's like, um, it's a, a separate school system. It's different than public education and they have a certain way of learning. And one of the things that they did was that they made their own textbooks. So they were not, they were not given textbooks. They had to, when they were given a topic, go out and like, and this is the time before the internet, they had to go out and like collect things from different places. And mm -hmm. then the knowledge of what they collected was so much more um, deep because mm -hmm. they, they had to interpret it. They had to understand it. They had to understand where to place it. And so this idea of constructing your own textbook, as opposed to being given one that's already formed, 
um, changes the way that you learn things. Mm -hmm. And then it becomes your knowledge and not mm -hmm. just your teachers or your textbooks knowledge that you are copycatting. I'm saying this like, this is very blunt words, but, but mm -hmm. um, I know that there's nuance to this, but um, yeah, yeah. I was thinking also that um, there's another fighting monkey practitioner. I share a student with, with her, um, Natalia from, from Poland. Mm -hmm. And um, my student said, ah, Natalia asked me to take the zero forms from fighting monkey, which have very definite names. Like Joseph has given them, you know, these names. Mm -hmm. And Natalia said, I would like you to, to rename all of the, all of the zero forms. Mm -hmm. And I thought this was brilliant because mm -hmm. it's, it's instead of, saying, oh, it's this thing. I do the thing. I understand the thing. Let's say water over cloud. I understand what this is, but then I, I put it into my context and my language, mm -hmm. and that is going to deepen my connection to that thing. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. It makes me think of a couple things. Mm -hmm. um, the first one is there's a book that I read called Range, not necessarily worth reading because it's, it's a good book, but it's, it, it's fine. Yeah. Um, but they did, he talks about a, a, a piece of research that he discovered where, you know, they were kind of talking about long-term memory versus short-term memory mm -hmm. and really what learning is. And if I handed you like a stack of flashcards with a word on one side, and the definition on the other side, you would memorize them and be able to take a test the next day and then it would be gone forever. Yes. Right. But they did the research and they were like, they gave another group of people a stack of cards and on the one side, it only had the definition. The word wasn't there. And they said, go find the word. Oh, nice. And it took people forever. But when they got it, they got it. Wow, that's neat. Yes, yes. And then, and then a few weeks ago, maybe a, a month and a half ago, I got to interview Paul Schreiner, who is kind of the second in command at my jujitsu school in New York, Marcelo Garcia Academy. Yeah. And Marcelo, I don't know if you know anything about jujitsu, but Marcelo is like the best jujitsu practitioner of all time. Nicest guy on the planet. He's, he teaches like six days a week. He's, um, you know, wow. really gifted practitioner, really gifted competitor, gifted teacher. And he starts telling me about Marcelo learning jujitsu. And he wasn't in one of like the big cities in Brazil. He was like in some smaller town, I guess. So he didn't get to like have the access that everyone else had. But what he got was like some photos once in a while, some like video clips here and there. And he would take the photos and the video clips and then he would find the routes to those positions or to those moments on his own. Yes. And it, it did a few things, it seems like. It's like it gave him some creative freedom to try to figure out where, how he wanted to do it and find his own language, which ended up being his own style. But it also gave him this like, I don't know if the word or the term would be kinesthetic empathy or, or what it is, but like kind of like a dancer, he can see something and quickly replicate it. He can also feel something, it sounds like, and quickly replicate what he feels someone else do. Wow. Yes. And I think a lot of it, aside from all the other life things, but like that, that story was like, well, that's, that's, that's magic. Like that's the thing. Yes, completely. Um, when Joseph and Linda talk about um, how they 
figured out this full complexity way of teaching coordinations. I don't know mm -hmm. if you know this, this story of the two groups where Joseph took one group and Linda took another. Mm -hmm. And um, Linda's group, um, if you've been in the room with Linda, when she does coordination, she goes. It just, mm -hmm. it starts and you go in full complexity mode. So there's no breaking down. It's that this is the coordination, you watch it. Joseph took another group and did breaking things down. So went step-by-step step teaching people how to do this, this coordination, same coordination. Joseph's group learned on this steady upwards, you know, trajectory. They were learning, they were learning. Linda's group, nothing, no learning, just chaos and frustration <laughs> and like just, but they kept going. This is mm -hmm. it. They kept going through this, burning through this. And then all of a sudden, um, Linda's group, when they got it, it was theirs. They could, mm. they could reverse it. They could make variation. They could change size. They, it was theirs to play with. Mm -hmm. If Linda stepped away, they could continue. Mm -hmm. Other side, Joseph's side, if he stepped away, mm -hmm. people couldn't continue because they mm -hmm. were so used to, to having um, this because it was too short a time for them to actually learn the thing and do it themselves with that kind of teaching, because mm -hmm. you'd need a lot of time to like, here's this and answering questions and things like this, as opposed to throwing you in the deep end, mm -hmm. having you watch this thing and you have to burn through a lot of frustration, but mm -hmm. then you get the, you get the thing, you understand it as yours. And I, I appreciate that, like that, that desire for like discovery, mm. right? Because if I hand you something, you're not discovering anything. I just gave you a gift, right? It reminds me so much of like like Zen teachings where it's like, they're like, you know, you show up at like a Zen monastery. They're like, oh, I don't have anything to teach you. <laughs> they just give like opportunities for you to make discoveries yourself. Yes. And, yeah. and that's such an important quality, but people are so almost like fundamentally opposed to that frustration, to that discomfort to yes. that embarrassment when the real tragedy is that like, you know, they've done there. I was reading somebody who's a researcher and he was saying that like happiness is not, is not comfort. You know, when they kind of look at what happens in the brain, happiness is actually the creative process. Yes. Right. And that's what this is, right? Like the going yes. through the frustration and the embarrassment to then get to like a creative outcome, yes. like problem solving. I really like that. Yes. Um, well, when I first encountered coordinations with Joseph and Linda, um, it was an intensive situation. So we're doing them for like two hours a day. Mm -hmm. And um, there was uh, a very, what I'll call a simple coordination of three things. It was three movements, three arm swings, let's say. I could not get it. And this was so <laughs> devastating to me and demoralizing to me as a dancer. Because I was coming in there identifying myself as a dancer, as someone who, of course, I'm going to be able to pick up movement. Yeah. Why? You know, no problem. And so the fact that I couldn't get it, and also other people, <laughs> other people <laughs> were getting it, like even this level of ego, right? It was mm -hmm. like, what is happening? And I went off to the side and I was in tears. Like I was that affected by it because I was just like, I, I was having almost like an existential crisis because- <laughs> my identification as a dancer and as a high level mover was being called into question mm -hmm. right in front of my face. Mm -hmm. And then I would watch, I would just watch for a while the chaos that was mm -hmm. unfolding in front of me. And mm -hmm. you've been in coordinations, it's like this, it's like 50 people struggle busing across. Mm -hmm. um, and I realized that that was the magic of it too. 
was mm-hmm. was continuing mm-hmm. was continuing burning through sometimes i think of this like a phoenix practice it's like you burn through it and then you come out the other side and mm-hmm. that feeling of coming out the other side of that is like it's it's also a big feeling yeah and the next time you encounter that trouble is mm-hmm. tiny increment uh, incrementally less painful because you know you will get to the other side at some point mm-hmm. or at least the idea of the other side being possible is mm-hmm. now there because you did it once mm-hmm. so i think this is also the value of this um it's like a, it's a resilience practice it's, it's yeah practice. yeah it's yeah. Resilience practice. yeah right which is like so human Yes. Right. Like people are almost like, they're so caught up on the movement that it's about the movement. It's like, no, no, no. There's like, there's bigger things that are happening. We're talking, like you said, resilience and power of will, you yeah. know, like these are really rich qualities, you know, in, in terms of being a human existing in the world. Yes. It reminds me, uh, I mean, I didn't cry, but, <laughs> but I, I, you know, I, 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 I don't know if you know this, but I was you know, locked down for like seven months out at my, my wife's parents' house, like in the woods in upstate, not upstate, uh, uh, Northern Westchester in New York. Um, and I, you know, had the opportunity to like dig into a bunch of the fighting monkey coordinations. And, you know, I was out there like every single day in the driveway by myself, like watching these things. And I have no dance background and I'm just like, putting it together and dealing with like, you know, in my case, really fighting like the rigidity again. Like, I think it's like a cultural rigidity that rigidity that my like body holds on to. So like trying to like learn it in a rigid way and then, and then ask myself to like find softness in it. Right. But again, going through that process over and over. And then today I was like, Oh, I'm, I'm, I want to teach some of this. Right. And I'm like, jumping to some of these things I got to play with back in like April, but because I had gone through it myself and like fought. Yes. Haven't done it since April. And it's just like, there it is. Amazing. It's that, it's that ownership of being like, as the teacher, right. Being like, I'm okay with people not getting it. Yes. I, and, and that's, it's actually great because if they, if they, if they go through it, there's something much richer on the other side than if I hand it to you. Yes. Yes, completely. It's, mm-hmm. uh, there's several things there, but the last, um, I think it's really important that when we are with our students, we're okay that they're uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. This, is, this is tough. And I say this coming from um, a yoga teaching background also where Yes, there's this thought that maybe we want to be uncomfortable, but for the most part, what ends up happening is that we give a class or a sequence because we want to give a nice experience. We want to give a good experience. So to poke at someone's sore spot and be like, nope, you're going you're gonna to do this thing that's going to make you super uncomfortable. It's going to make you feel real awkward and you have to do it in front of people because mm-hmm. you're crossing a space. This is really tough to, mm-hmm. to ask people to do and to mm-hmm. be like, sort of like, yep, yeah, no, it's like... Um, medicine, I don't say this at this moment, but it's like having this sort of like, well, no, this is, this is what we need to do. We need to be this person for you to, mm-hmm. to provoke you to, mm-hmm. to um, dive into this discomfort or resilience practice. 
Yeah. Yeah. I think there was there was also something. Hmm. Somehow this, and I, I can't remember now the connection, but I was thinking Joseph made a really nice um, story to us one time. And again, the stories, I'm not sure. Who knows if they're actually coming from, <laughs> mm-hmm. some things are coming from real. Some are like a lore, like a folklore. This is one of the stories that he he said was about um, asking a, a fireman, mm-hmm. um, how can you how can you go running into a burning building and, and save somebody? Like, what is it? What would you, how would you describe this? And he said, oh, the, the fireman said it's instinct. Mm-hmm. And Joseph was thinking about this and thinking that there was a bit of a, he had an issue with this idea because that's not instinctual to everybody to run in, into a burning building. This is not our instinct. Our instinct is to, to go the other way. But because this, this fireman trained in many, let's, let's say hypothetically, in many, many different ways, many different scenarios, they were, they were enacting these, these saves, these rescues, and all the, they were learning all this skill. It gets so deep into their um, physicality mm-hmm. that it becomes feeling like instinctual but joseph would call this intuitive so it's Mm. like this feeling of like instinct movement versus intuitive movement and how do we see those things and i was i now don't remember the reference was to you saying "Ah, i did this in april it's in my it's now in my like intuitive layer of in my interpretation my intuitive layer of movement i don't have to think i have to call this up uh, in the same way that I may have had before I did all of this practice because mm-hmm. that body it's in there if you mm-hmm. do it it's in there yeah mm-hmm. and, well, that, and, and that's why I, I keep t- telling people I'm like you guys like I don't know and and granted like I mean so you know we we haven't we've never spoken before um you know I trained for five years with Ido Portal and I'm uh, you know, learned so much and, and gained so many tools and skills um, and, 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 and I, and I, and I find a lot of value in it, but I, but I realized I had this like revelation about kind of like these things that we're talking about, like things almost being too isolated and, and not enough of like, developing the 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 really rich moments that we want intuitively you know what i mean um those i say it it's like um really i i i received so much like rich information that i can like utilize into other places and weave it in when i see it when i see fit but the the real rich like human qualities i feel like i i lacked i lacked like i said that ability to like move and be on my feet and have like real like courage in my like my hips and my knees and to me as i as i reflect now and, and i'm able to like look at different chapters i think to myself well like having been in some different places well what are the things that are really important and it's subjective but like what what allows us to like move through the space with more freedom what are those things Mm. and i've just grown to feel less and less like it's that it's handstands or that it's um you know even 
certain patterns or combinations of patterns, you know, that, that I think people gravitate towards. I, I find more and more that it's like, it's the broader information, you know, yeah. and, and we want to feed our bodies the rich information because the more information we have, the better predictions we can make. Like there's no answers. And, and I, I don't know, I feel like I'm kind of talking around something that's there, oh, but I don't know. Yes. Yes. Um, and, and, and I keep, you know, suggesting to people that like, you know, we're, don't look for answers because they're not there. Look for suggestions and look for opportunities to receive rich information that will allow you to make better predictions in your, the uncertain world. Yes, completely. <laughs> yes, <laughs> well, I have to, I'm going to grab something because I think I have a visual aid. Okay. Okay. Yes, this is, this is, okay. You said something like when you took your step back and you asked, you were asked like a few different questions. You were asking mm. like about movement and about what the bigger picture is behind doing this. Like why, essentially, mm. why are we doing this? And mm. I think that question is very important mm -hmm. for, for movers to identify how it is they would like to train mm -hmm. and, and what their training actually looks like. And, and then um, I say this because it really depends on your intention behind what you're doing. Like, I know also we have, we have this shared, I think, belief in this idea of, of and I think Ido does as well, being generalist mm -hmm. as, a, as opposed to being specialist. Because mm -hmm. um, all the problems that go along with becoming a specialist, it's not wrong at all to become a specialist. That's, that's your choice. But there's certain concessions that you mm -hmm. then make. Mm -hmm. Whereas for me, and when I answer that question, like, why do I do what I do? Why am I moving? I have different answers for teaching versus my own practice or, or slightly different. It's like, I, I want to be able to communicate to my body at the top, top, top level, meaning I want to be able to understand myself mm -hmm. in a way that allows me to move very well, because I'm also interested in longevity. I'm mm -hmm. interested in like being able to move when I'm 120, mm -hmm. <laughs> but I'm mm -hmm. still able to like dance then. So if that's the answer to my question, my training has to look or be a certain way. Mm -hmm. And so that's, it's like reverse engineering from the answer that you're looking for. You reverse engineer and say, okay, well, is this serving what it is that I would like my outcome to be? Mm -hmm. And if my outcome doesn't, I say this, if my outcome is that, uh, I want to do a handstand by all means that can be your goal however um there are other goals <laughs> that are also out there and, yeah. yeah yeah i think i think that generalist is I, I think oftentimes people throw the word generalist around and everyone thinks that they're saying the same thing or thinking the same thing and i've grown to realize and it like hit me as you were saying it that i'm like a lot of people have different guesses about what generalist is. Right. Yes. And what, what it means to be a, a generalist. And I don't actually have a, a good answer for it. I have like where I've kind of gravitated towards in terms of like what that means to me. And I think it's similar to where to where you're at. But now I'm it's hitting me that like, oh, a lot of people have kind of def picked their their place for what generalist is right and and that's where it gets kind of uh funny in this world that's a really interesting question yeah 
I mean, I, there's usually three ways that I think about uh, if I had to, um, if you ask me this question, like what's generalist to you, mm -hmm. I think about these three things that I, I, I tell some of my students when we're introducing fighting monkey, like, why are we doing this? Why are we doing mm -hmm. this? Um, the idea, and Joseph has said this before that we're like, we're trying to be street rats and not lab mice. Mm. So the ability to be able to be resilient and to access things that we need and to go like, you know, through um, um, hardships or this kind of idea, make it out the resilience practice, mm -hmm. right? And so this is one way, but then if there's, there's we need to round this out more. There's another thing that he, he said, um, it's like we're mystery Olympians mm -hmm. and that you don't know what, you're going to the Olympics, but you don't know what event you're going mm -hmm. to pull. And so you arrive there and you just pull out your event and that's the one that you're going to do, but that you will be ready to mm -hmm. at least um, understand what is necessary to compete on a, or to do the thing. Mm -hmm. And then the last one was the idea of being, um, instead of a race car driver, like going around very fast, very well, like super specialized, that we are like um, getaway car drivers, that we mm. have to be fast and we also have to be able to make very quick and um, uh, quick decisions about survival, about, you know, this. Yeah, mm -hmm. this mm -hmm. is the images or the things that come to mind when I think of uh, fighting monkey generalist idea. Yeah, and I and I think back to to my conversation with him and the the I'm not going to try to repeat it because there's no way I can like say it the way he said, but it was just the idea that like, you know, the majority of our interaction with this world is done on our feet. Mm. And I thought there was just so, it, it captured so much in just such a simple comment, you know, or idea that like, you know, that is how we communicate with the world. But then we, we almost want to go away from that, like not respect that in the way that we should respect it. Yes, completely. Somehow it makes me think of, of um, I'm not going to talk around like this. Mm -hmm. uh, in one of the intensives, there was another practitioner, Manu, who, who talked about the difference between uh, picking wild blueberries mm -hmm. and pulling a carton of a pint of blueberries out of your fridge. Mm -hmm. Like thinking of the difference between what it is to be squatting and also having to do like these, you know, movements to grab something, you come up and down, you're doing this. If you were, you know, picking these in the wild versus having to do one arm gesture to open and one arm gesture to grab And So our movements, um, our movement capacities have been shaped by what we have to do to, mm -hmm. to live. And mm -hmm. so um, we've created these let's say fitness systems that in some way are kind of like the packaged blueberries where it's like, it's giving us this movement experience that's very prescribed. But then if you were asked to go out into the wild and actually pick blueberries, I don't know if this is the best analogy, mm -hmm. but then you, you would not know the best way to do this in terms of like, oh no, I have to squat and twist and reach and like pull this, all this experience we've, we've lost by just the nature of our um, organized society. Mm -hmm. However, I will, and this is kind of going back to a little bit where um, we were talking about before, um, the why behind mm -hmm. 
And if we answer the questions like we did answer these questions, then our practice is going to look a certain way. Mm -hmm. um, but that type of a practice requires excess energy because mm -hmm. it requires, and I, I'm pulling this and paraphrasing from Joseph, like an explorer's energy. Mm -hmm. So the difference between saying, I'm going to go walk a trail that I already know. So I pack accordingly, knowing that it's going to take me an hour, two hours to get around this trail. I know that. So I pack a little bit of extra water, but for the most part, I know, I know this voyage as opposed to, I don't know where I'm going. I'm going this way. I'm going to navigate around and you, you have to pack um, more and be ready to put out more energy because you are exploring. Mm -hmm. And so I think, um, in our times, in our society, that having that excess energy is a real like luxury, luxury mm -hmm. in that it has to be cultivated. Mm -hmm. And so our practices also have to be ones that generate energy for us. Mm -hmm. So that it's like a self-perpetuating, um, evolving discipline practice, as mm -hmm. opposed to our practice, we do it, it drains us, then we have to like find a way to, to generate um, to generate more energy, to be explorers, we don't want to, so we stick to prescribed systems instead, mm -hmm. because at least the energy of having to explore is not there, it's, right. it's like this. And it was like, this, this is something that Joseph uses, I don't know if you've seen this little thing that he does where he says, okay, well, the pathway could be you know, from one dot to another, I have a dot drawn on a page and then I have like an X drawn and then I have a straight line. Mm -hmm. This is the most efficient pathway to get somewhere. But in terms of um, seeing more things of the world, you maybe would want to take more of a path like this. If your intention was to have experience rather than efficiency, then you're going to be going around off, you know, rolling around like this little curly cues and then coming up to this end. You mm -hmm. see much more, you get much more of an experience. It depends on your intention. Do you want more experience or do you want efficiency? Then mm -hmm. he also like will crumple the page, you know, mm -hmm. and then you have this topographical idea. And this is kind of like life coming in. So I have a crumpled page. Now my line that was going across that crumpled page in the straight line is maybe not the most efficient pathway anymore mm -hmm. because it goes up and downhill. It goes through difficult areas. So then our pathway has to be able to adapt to get to that end. It has mm -hmm. to be able to shift and go around the topography of our lives as they evolve because then it will flatten out and crumple again in a different way and we have to really be able to to navigate this with extra energy that hopefully mm -hmm. is generated by our practice this was a <laughs> long-winded trying to encapsulate yeah. but yes. no, there, there, no that's so interesting that the idea of 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 a, a practice that generates energy that doesn't always just diminish it that I think that that's something that people struggle with, but I think that it's something that they don't know how to, to kind of get close to that thing that you're speaking of. Um, I don't know. I'm curious more about that. Can you talk a little bit more about like, I don't know, maybe, maybe it's from your own practice or maybe it's from like what you're working with, with your students. Like, yeah. What, it, what does that look like? This is a very, yeah, this is a very good question. Um, I think we can be drained of energy in a practice when we are practicing in a way that is not taking into consideration um, what our what information we can gather from where we are at in our bodies. 
So I'm gonna use the idea of zero forms from Fighting Monkey. When we, we do zero forms in Fighting Monkey, they are set, um, let's say articulations, very simple articulations that can be done on repeat. Mm -hmm. um, so that the idea that you repeat this articulation, I always use the same one, <laughs> the circling of the arm, let's say, and you, you witness what's happening in your shoulder. So day one, you're like, I have a little bit of pain here. You go again, day two, you do the same thing. The arm circle, you has the pain got less or more. Okay, it's feeling a little bit more now. Okay, day three, now it's a little bit more even still. What am I doing in my life or in my practice that is causing this situation? Is this situation inhibiting me in some way? I'm gathering information. This is just one example, I'm gathering information. And then once I can understand what's happening in my body, what, what my body, where my zero is, then I can, um, tweak my practice accordingly, or I can mm. have a practice that suits actually what's happening um, with me. And that's not to say you don't do like say, oh, I can't possibly do coordinations. That's not what it is. It's that um, you you find a way to do the thing, the coordination mm. that is in in um, awareness of 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 you and your energetic capacity, your physical mm. capacity, your mental mm. capacity. You have an understanding of yourself. And so when I say that practices drain you, I think, and this is just kind of off the top of my head, and maybe I'll correct this on top, but it's thinking that um, it's a practice perhaps that's not suiting where you are mm -hmm. at that moment and not being kind of truthful to what that is. Mm -hmm. um, um, or uh, mm, you're doing it to such a degree that you think that, again, quantity may be better than, than a quality of a practice, meaning I pushed 150%, I burned myself out, and then I'm tired mm -hmm. the next day because I didn't adequately understand, I guess, my energy level or my tank at mm -hmm. that point. I think that that is, uh, I think that people have the tendency, and this is just an observation, and maybe even just an assumption, that people kind of they they compartmentalize their lives right so like they think like oh this is my work life this is my personal life this is my movement and i think the people i'm probably getting closer to describing is like oh their fitness life right yes. and not respecting that like it's all the same it's all <laughs> it, it all goes together you know so like if we were out living in like a tribe or something I would have to respect that the whole thing goes together because if I go out with like two other hunters and I just like sprint the whole time, wear myself out, and then they kill like a mammoth or something, I'm not going to have the energy to help them carry the mammoth back. Yes. Mm -hmm. Right. And then when I get back, I'm not going to have the energy to like play with my children and whatever, you know, dance around the fire or whatever happens. Yes. Right. So it sounds like there's a little bit of that, like almost like respecting that the practice is, is, is part of your life. Your life is all the same thing. Yes. And, and when you, and when you do your thing, it should be respecting that like, oh, well, well, what time of day is it? What else am I doing? What, what, where is this, where are we going now? Like how, what, what is the, 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 the practice flow into after it? Right. Yes. Because yeah. it's like, you know, almost like the CrossFit mentality where it's like, you like burn the house down and then like, <laughs> you're like, well, the day is over. 
<laughs> yes, yes, completely. Yeah. And, and and it's not mindful in any way. I mean, or maybe there are people that maybe it is mindful, but yeah. it's, it's not the same mindfulness of being like, well, what's the two-way conversation that I'm having here with like, whatever, my knees, right? Yes. I'm giving it, it, it giving them information through stress and exposure, but then more importantly, what you were just saying is they're giving me information about what's happening, proficiencies, efficiencies, deficiencies today, tomorrow, yesterday, like, yes. And that's, it sounds to me like what you're saying when it's like, we want to have, have energy. Energy is like giving and exchanging information and respecting that it's like part of the whole day, the whole life, the whole, the whole. Yes. 100%. Hundred percent. Mm, like yeah. what I said, kind of when I said at the beginning, the beginning mm. of this recording, when I said always on. Yeah. Kind of yeah. But at the same time, it's it's this. It's that. Um, I remember there was a question posed to Joseph once about, well, what percentage uh, would you say of your day is is training, and what percentage is teaching, and what percentage is rest? Like they were wanting percentages, right? Mm-hmm. And Joseph said. 100% teaching, 100% training, 100% living, 100% eat. Like it's like everything at 100%. There's no categorizing that oh now I'm teaching. Now mm-hmm. I'm not practicing. Now I'm teaching. Mm-hmm. This is this is really how I feel that as I'm teaching, I'm practicing and not practicing as in like the practice is not going to be the same when I'm doing my own practice alone, mm-hmm. but I'm still in the mentality that I'm I'm always teaching, I'm always learning. Mm-hmm. I'm always practicing I'm always resting. And mm-hmm. so it's like, I'm, I, I don't, and I, I say that, like, I know these are, again, words are limited in this sense because they're mm-hmm. very black and white, but I, I do mean that it's like, we, we integrate the practice, I feel so fully into our, our lives that there's really no like, all right, start on the clock. <laughs> now we practice and then we shut it down because right. then we are dislocating ourselves um, from uh, ourselves. Yeah. Well, it's like, you know, it's not like, you know, you, I, I mean, from my observation, so much of like the real beauty to me of like the fighting monkey work is really the like respect of the interconnectedness of like the body and the, and the research into that, whether it's like understanding different scenarios of like balancing your head and your chest and your pelvis over your feet or how you generate power and speed with respect to the whole thing, like moving together. So it'd be like, oh, you're actually going to do all that research. But then when you walk home, you're going to walk home like a mummy. Yes. <laughs> you know, it's like, no, no, no. It all, it all continues. Yes. And, and that's, that's the, the beauty. And I think that that really is that thing. And you said it so well about that. Like, you know, it, it, it's not supposed to like, take all of our energy away. We can like create energy. And maybe that's also some like beauty of like a practice like yoga as well, maybe is that this is, it is a practice that's supposed to send people out with like vitality and energy and be like, whoa, like that's, that's what it is. Yes. Yes. Mm -hmm. I think um, there's another part that uh, of this, um, of the question you asked about how can your practice give you energy? Mm. I was just thinking that um, a resilience practice gives you energy. Mm. Because when you're practicing a resilience practice, you are, oh, there's this perfect term that I, um, 
that I was reading about actually related to COVID things about surge capacity and how um, this idea that when you're faced with troubles, people who have this bigger surge capacity are able to just like just almost thrive in these situations mm -hmm. because they've built up a bank of resilience. Mm. So when we are um, doing a resilience practice, we are banking um, all of these experiences to be able to adapt. And then what happens when people are faced with having to adapt and they haven't been practicing how to adapt, it takes so much energy because mm. your, your energy is depleted from having to like figure this out without having had any experience. So you're, you're having to try to find energy and, and, and figure out all of these things in the moment of the adaptation, mm -hmm. whereas someone who's been practicing resilience is able to just have a, again, we go back to this intuitive problem solving of running down the mountain. It's mm -hmm. like, for him, he's not thinking, uh, this is so much <laughs> energy, yeah. he's just doing the thing. Yeah. That's because he's had this store of resilience to running down a mountain. You can run down a mountain. And, and, and would you define resilience? Because the first thing that comes to mind when I think of resilience is the, is the ability to manage stress, mm -hmm. right? And maybe you see it a different way, but that's kind of what comes to my mind. Yes. And, and in the, that moment where you're kind of being asked to be resilient and maybe you're not as resilient and you're like watching this thing unfold that you don't know how to do, it, it, it manifests in a lot of ways. And I think you'd actually described it in your own first experience where like you burst into tears, right? It was like the resilience wasn't the same as what it is now. And, and that stress manifested in, 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 a, in an emotional way, right? Yes. But I think in, in everybody, it starts to like, the breath changes, right? The sweats start to come on. And when, you, when you've practiced resilience, even if you're in a really uncomfortable situation, you have maybe an intuitive tool to managing that stress yes. so that you can continue to observe within the discomfort as opposed to like, like the real stress kicking in and now you can't even observe anymore. You're in like full like fight or flight, Yes. right? Mm -hmm. um, which reminds me like, and I, I feel like it's like the last like five podcasts I've mentioned it and I think <laughs> I already mentioned it here because I'm, I'm just finishing it up for the first time reading it. And maybe you've read it because you uh, come from a yoga background, but the, the yoga sutras of Patanjali. Mm -hmm. And at one point he's talking about pranayama mm -hmm. and saying, if you control your breath, you control your mind. But also if you control your mind, you control your breath. <laughs> it goes in both directions. Yes. And, and being asked to to challenge your resilience, to improve your resilience or, 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 or moments of, of resilience practice. That is really, to me, what's happening, Yes. right? Like you're learning to control your mind and your breath or your breath and your mind, they go together. And, and, and that's, again, like when we're talking about like those rich human things, and also I would say things that like continue to give you energy, like that, that, is the thing, but it's not, there's nothing Instagrammable about like, oh, I've, <laughs> I have practiced my resilience, you know, yeah. unless it's, unless it's like, you know, you know, a, a Wim Hof cold plunge, then it's right. like, oh, well, everybody wants to like that, but it's like, 
that's almost like extreme moment of resilience or, or practicing or dealing with stress where it's like it manifests in so many different ways and can be practiced in so many different ways. And it should be practiced in so many different ways. Yeah. As you said, putting yourself in a situation where you're like all this choreography and coordination is happening and you don't know how to deal with it. Oh, that's stressful. Learn to deal with that. Then maybe also do the cold plunge and then maybe also stand in one place for two hours. Yes. Uh-huh. Exactly. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So, so what, 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 what are some of the, the, the ways you're playing with resilience now? This is a good question. Okay. So I was thinking that, um, again, I'm going to circular, circular answer this. <laughs> so okay. I, um, I think about, you know, so fighting, fighting monkey refers to fighting your monkey mind. That is, mm-hmm. that is the title of, of the practice. <laughs> that, is, that is like straight out of Patanjali. Yes. Oh, it's, I'm going to have to, have you read it? Uh, yes, yes, I have. Oh, yes. <laughs> that's, I, 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 it's like, I feel like I just wrote that down the other day. It was something, and, and it was about the, the monkey mind. Anyway, go ahead. Yes, but this is, this is what we're doing. We're, we're fighting our monkey mind through movement situations. Mm-hmm. Yes, it has a physical ramification, of course. And yes, this is this is beneficial to us because we're not only practicing resilience of body, we're practicing resilience of mind. And, and it's just, it's all one when we're doing this. Sometimes it referred to this as one animal. We're one mm-hmm. we're an animal, we're one animal with the mind and the body all interconnected. So when you say, um, you know, the, the Wim Hof idea of putting yourself under a stress of cold, everyone can relate to this stress. Everyone knows what it's like to be cold. So when they see someone climbing up a mountain in shorts, they're like, okay, I understand that stress. This is something that uh, I can, I can easily, let's say I'm really being flippant here, but like on Instagram, because I understand how hard that would be. Right. It's rela- it's, re- it's relatable in some way. Relatable. It's familiar. Yeah. Whereas you throw someone in a room of choreography, you put them under that stress, that is hard to convey. It's hard to relate to, like not everyone's had this experience. So we don't recognize that that stressor is related to other stressors that we experience in our lives also. That Mm. that the the chaos of that experience is very relevant to a chaos that we experience outside. So you practicing resilience in a lab setting, which is what we're in, in a classroom, Mm. try to make that that situation as complex as possible because we're trying to mirror what we face outside. Mm. Now, um, Joseph talks about this idea. I I will get to resilience, I promise. But Joseph talks about this idea of um, taking a tree Mm-hmm. and putting it in a like white room lab and saying mm-hmm. now tell me about this tree so people would talk about this tree in a very specific way when it's removed from the context of being in a forest mm-hmm. so when you describe a tree that's in a forest or outside you would maybe describe the sound it makes blowing in the wind you describe the light coming through you decide the animals that were climbing up it you would describe all of this interconnection but when you take it out of that context and put it in a lab it becomes an object. It becomes something that is is um, just the object itself and not the experience of the object. So when we're doing a resilience training, my my interpretation and my way is to try to make things as complex as possible without going over that line that you crush people. <laughs> because there is a moment, there's this fine line and Fighting Monkey have this one of our little quotes is on the edge of impossible. And this is what we're talking about. It's like, we, we play on that line. 
how complex can we handle and still be present and mm-hmm. still make it a training so that we're not just <laughs> chaotically running around, but mm-hmm. that how, how far can you go with mm-hmm. that while still having it be re- uh, relevant and useful for the information that you're gathering from it? Mm-hmm. So this is how I approach when I'm doing my own practice and when I'm teaching is that I'm mm-hmm. trying to create movement situations mm-hmm. where I can play with um, complexity, layers of complexity, different mm-hmm. interrelations between tasks to see what information can I get if I do a task with my feet and now I do a task with my arms and now I put them together. Or the next day I go spine, arms, feet. So mm-hmm. I see that even a different ordering of events is going to give us a different experience. Mm. And then I also think about the principle in Fighting Monkey of earthquake architecture. Mm-hmm. Which is, um, the idea that you are building a structure that has resilience to when troubles come. Mm-hmm. So what do you do when the trouble comes? What do you do when the ground is unsteady underneath you? Mm-hmm. So in an in a earthquake zone, um, buildings and structures are engineered to understand that they have to have movement in mm-hmm. order to uh, uh, um, stay uh, upright. Because mm-hmm. if they're too rigid, then the vibration will potentially crack the, mm-hmm. the structure. Mm-hmm. So we take this as a philosophy and apply it to the tasks that we're doing. How can we be um, available mm-hmm. to the troubles when they come? And how do we survive that? And one last thing, I know I'm going a bit of a tangent, but mm-hmm. um, that uh, we had an, earth, an architect come in and explain to us that the success of a building that's built in an earthquake zone is not relying on the strength of the materials. It's not relying on sort of the smarts that's put into each individual thing. It's about the interconnection. It's mm-hmm. about how successfully the building is able to be interconnected so that it has a way of dealing with the pressure underneath. This to me blew my mind. Oh. It was also about like a practice idea. Yeah. yeah. You were like walking around this idea that I've brought up to so many people recently. And it, again, kind of comes from the, a revelation of somebody who's spent a fair amount of time doing like strength work, strength training, whatever the hell it is. Right. Um, and, and has recently begun to question well, what is strength? Mm. You know, because I think that it's not what we often associate it with. And the two words that we're kind of talking about here, like resilience and interconnection, Mm. to me, speak more to strength than being physically strong or physically strong in isolation or, or physically strong in certain scenarios, because I also feel that like strength can be, or the, or the feeling of strength or this feeling of power, I don't know how to like put it out, explain it, can be felt and generated through the interconnection much better than just being physically strong. Yes. And I've thought about that just from my early days in jujitsu, probably being the strongest person physically on the mat, but then suddenly being the weakest person on the mat. (laughs) And it's like, well, what is that? Like, what is this thing that is happening? Well, these people are super resilient. They have like a high threshold for discomfort. Like their spirit doesn't break quickly. 
mm-hmm. right? They have this real understanding, like a rich understanding of like their, the, 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 how to coordinate their body and their, and the interconnectedness and that interconnectedness like really allows them to like manipulate themselves into like being full and then empty or partially full and partially empty. And I'm like, well, that seems like real strength. Yes. And, and I think that, you know, I look back and think about other people and it's like, I think physical strength is like an illusion of, of, of strength. And, and maybe to go further, it's like an illusion of control, Mm. you know? Um, Because like you said, it's like, you could build these strong buildings that don't know how to like roll with the punches yes, and they're going to go down. And then you're going to have these buildings that aren't built with the strongest materials, but they're very interconnected and are able to, when things are fine, be rigid, but when things are not fine, be soft. And that's strength. And it makes me think of like when I've, I don't know, like when I've watched people like lumberjacks or like when you see kind of footage of like these like tribesmen who are the hunters who are out there and I'm like, well, they're not jacked, you know, like they don't even appear to be that physically strong, Yes. but they're much stronger than me. And I think if they put their hands on me, they could, they would feel very strong Yes. because they have a very rich understanding of that. Yes. Yes. And that resilient aspect yes. that, you know, kind of, I think that probably hovers above the other thing as well. Yes, completely. Mm-hmm. It reminds me of this, um, and I don't remember which documentary this was, but it was about um, weightlifters, like the strong, strong men competitions where people are lifting like, like mm-hmm. crazy amounts of weight. Which are always very fun to watch. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> yeah. And there was like, it was talking about this competitor, this older guy, way older than the competition. He's been doing it for years. Mm-hmm. And he, in this instance, was super successful still, well past like prime, let's say. Mm-hmm. He wasn't as big as some of the other guys, but he had 40, I don't know, 30 years, let's say, of doing the same action and mm-hmm. understanding. Now, I wouldn't maybe recommend doing 30 years of the same action, but I mean, he has such an understanding of the coordination required to... Mm-hmm to harness his particular strength. And it's not about size or bulk at that point or how, you know, it's about understanding how this, I'm using this action of pulling up, this movement is um, optimally coordinated so that mm-hmm. you have more more um, capacity to harness the strength that you have, which would then manifest as being able to lift more weight. Mm-hmm. The other thing that made me think of was, if, I don't know if you've ever done tampon with, with Joseph or with, with any of the fighting monkey. This is um, coming from a martial arts perspective, but it's about holding. It's about mm-hmm. holding and standing. So we do this one where we stand with our arms. Did oh, I've done, yeah, I've done, I, I got to do some, it was called branching, right? Branching, yes. Yeah. Branching mm-hmm. and another, we all, sometimes call tampon, but branching, branching practice, yes. Did we do that in the first interview? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, I, and, I, and I've been doing it a lot for the probably like the last like half year um go ahead i'm super interested yes mm-hmm. when in the second <laughs> this is very vivid in my memory this happens a lot but particularly it happened in the second toronto three-day event mm-hmm. where um <laughs> just very passionate about this that we were holding the arms up and and i will tell you um i don't say this as a brag but i say it because i'm stubborn and i have never put my arms down 
even mm -hmm. if in all the times that I've been practicing with Joseph, I've never put my arms down because of my just absolute, I will not put my arms down. <laughs> this is, this yeah. is honestly how I start the thing. And this says something about me perhaps, but, mm -hmm. but then what was happening is that um, like, I'm, I'm, I'm a smaller person. I, mm -hmm. I don't have a lot of bulk. I'm, I'm tiny, mm -hmm. like five one. And so mm -hmm. um, you see, Joseph would see, you know, these guys that were quite, you know, bulked and, and strong, strong, putting their arms down first, mm -hmm. because there wasn't an understanding in his explanation of how you harness the interconnection of your structure and be able to hold, he was very passionate, to hold your own arms up. How come you can't hold your own arms up? This kind of, you can do all these strength things, but you can't hold your own arms up. And so this was a very powerful statement to me about strength. Well, it, 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 it's that practice has led me to say to a number of people, your arms are only as strong as your mind is weak. <laughs> and it, it's like all the strength doesn't matter if you don't have a strong mind, mm -hmm. you know, and, and the, and the, and it seems to me the distance that we can cover with a strong mind is much further than if we have strong pick the thing, yes. you know, and I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm with you. And now I, and I also respect the, the explanation of, of resilience kind of transcending into the, the rest of your practice, because then you, as you said, it's like you, you learn how to manage stress in all these multitudes of like uncomfortable scenarios. And you're not immediately into like tunnel vision every time something like new flashes before your eyes. And it, to me, it like, it captures like, we, I was having a meeting. So I just moved to, to Boulder to teach here. And I was meeting with some of the other teachers and they were just kind of talking things out and, and speaking about things. And I just started saying like, well, what are kind of like the words or the themes of movement to you? Like, what are the things? Because it was kind of this strength conversation. I keep kind of throwing it out there to people being like, well, what is it? Because I think that it may make us reevaluate how we spend our time. Mm -hmm. And, you know, people are saying different things. And I said, well, you know, to me, some of the words that come to my mind when I think of, of movement and what I'm looking for in the practice, the words that jump out are, are things like resilience, creativity, um, and change. Mm -hmm. And to me, change is, is the big one because I think change kind of captures the other ones, yes. right? It's like you're, you're, you're practicing to like, create change in yourself. You're practicing to be prepared for a changing environment. You're practicing to be prepared for creative scenarios and the willingness to change for different problems that arise or different solutions that become available. Yes. And change is, is, is to me the big theme. And, and, and I said to them, I was like, oh, you know, I listened to this Alan Watts lecture and he was like, oh, there's this term in Japan, yugen. And yugen means to dig change. And it's a word that we don't really have here in our culture, but that's broadly what it means. Like you would, you're open to your own change. You're open to seeing like the clouds change and, and things move around you and, and you're okay with that. 
and to me, that's really what what movement is about. And and you you know you said that people oftentimes kind of fall into like routines or they look for their like systems. And, and it's this like opposition to change. This like, I don't dig change, mm-hmm. right? Um, but that's, that's like the, the quality. And I think sometimes people look for a practice where it's like, it's gonna be the same today, tomorrow and the next day, right? And as you said, it's like, no, no, no. We're, we're, we're looking for new things all the time, yes. right? And, and yeah. I, I wanted to throw that out there at you because I think that it's like, it's something that I've been, I don't know, spending a lot of time thinking about because I think, again, people get kind of lost in, in wanting to be grounded too much. Yes. It's hard to be in chaos or a perceived chaos. Again, it takes a lot of energy to be in that perceived chaos. So we anchor I think to, to things because yeah, we want to feel grounded. But when you're, I really like this idea that um, you you bring change as the word that represents movement to you because, in a way, movement is change. Yeah, we, we are changing through space. <laughs> That's what we're doing. So it's mm-hmm. like, um, yeah, this is a very nice interpretation of of movement in a different word. Mm-hmm. Change, movement interchangeable, almost. Yeah. Well, and also the the openness to like the ideas changing. Yes. You know, like, I think, I forget if it was a lecture I walked, watched of Yosef or it was when he and I spoke, but he spoke to saying something like he liked having discourse and having the conversation because he wanted, I think it's almost like he wanted to be challenged and wanted to have to like continue to like narrow in and frame the ideas and, and also felt like an openness to change. Yes. And I think that people are really af- afraid of that you know, and like, and the things that, that challenge that, you know, and, you know, I've talked to so many people who have like been so open and I, and I admire the humility to be like, oh, I was doing this one thing and now I see it differently and being okay saying that because I think people really hold on to things for a really long time that they've, that they, they maybe should have grown out of or, or changed away from just because it's like, well, I've, I've, I, I've committed to this thing or I've identified myself with this, this, this thing. Like, you know, you, you talk about your, your yoga background or, and, and it's like, had there not been a willingness to change, it would be like, well, I'm, I'm going to stick to this one thing because I've already <laughs> like, I've put my name tag on and that's what it says on the label. Yes, completely. I'm so glad you said the word humility because actually before you said it, I had written it and circled it many times. Humility. Uh-huh. This is, this is why I really value Joseph and Linda because um, they like having this discourse and, and to have things because they are um, in a sense, okay to accept that things can change and that they, he, he says often too, we don't know what we don't know. This is another way to say. So how can we be so stuck in that what we have is absolutely correct because we don't know what we don't know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so this, this kind of approach I love because it, it leaves us open to the possibility of change at all times. And mm-hmm. it's this idea also in fighting monkey that we, that change is necessary because we evolve under pressure. This is also mm-hmm. something that Joseph says, it's like, we need pressure. It's going to make us change. And if we don't change, then the pressure will crush us essentially, mm-hmm. or we will not evolve and not move forward essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, and actually there's, um, 
one, uh, um, you know, Joseph is really into the I Ching. Um, and there was one tile of the I Ching, which is sort of a divination, in a way a divination tool, but he's more interested from my understanding in the way that it, it kind of has taken nature and put it into these very um, interesting, almost like cones, like they're like um, little, you know, um, nuggets of, of, of wisdom, let's mm -hmm. say. So one of them that is, is um, his, the most powerful one for him is um, one that is uh, firm in intention, flexible in action. Mm. So, and, and this, the way that that is sort of, um, uh, um, the essence of that is humility. Mm -hmm. Essence, and that's what that's what he he has said is that you know humility in the face of of what we do as mm -hmm. very practiced movers is really important and really hard. Mm -hmm. And when we when we get used to something or we get out of a beginner's mind mm -hmm. of something, like I remember when I first started yoga, the high that you get after doing yoga, it's it's amazing, and I really that started to fade of course over time because I didn't have the tools to understand that that high was related somehow to being a beginner in something like mm -hmm. there was this discovery that was happening all the time that I was like wow this is this is feeding me this is feeding mm -hmm. me so this maybe also goes back to what you know what practice gives you energy for me what gave me energy was this discovery and once that discovery started to plateau and then didn't come as readily I was like, something's wrong here for me in this because I'm I'm not feeling energized. I'm feeling I'm chasing things that are not um, really of interest to me. Um, I'm not connecting with this practice anymore because I hadn't realized that actually we're we we need to find ways to always be beginners in what we're doing. Mm -hmm. And by doing that, I, I mean also that we face we give ourselves situations that we maybe haven't faced before or we haven't faced in that iteration or we add another complexity so that we're always finding different ways different mm -hmm. different uh, solutions to things mm -hmm. yes mm -hmm. i uh have you watched the beastie boys documentary no you should watch it it's excellent um yeah. i'm gonna quote it and the the context is there's much more gravity to the context like the the, the topic they were talking about was was much more serious than movement, but I think it's super fitting. And it's one of my favorite things that they said. So, you know, they've since become the two guys who are alive, um, have become like, uh, these real activists for like women's rights. Mm -hmm. They're really passionate. They, they, I think they donate and they, they, they do a lot of different things. And one of them was being interviewed, um, a couple of years ago. And they talk about this in the documentary and the, the journalist kind of held the guy to task and was like, well, what do you say to people that call you a hypocrite? Because, you know, when we look back at like your early music, you had songs like Girls, Girls, Girls. And that's really the opposite of like the things that you're doing now. And he just said, well, I would rather be a hypocrite than someone who never changes. Nice. And so I just, it was so beautiful. And I think it captured so many things. And again, like, like what he was talking about was much heavier than what we're talking about, but it kind of captures everything. I think that so many people 
are afraid of being a hypocrite. So they don't change or they're, they're, you know, by, by changing their label or taking away their label entirely, that that would make them a hypocrite in some way. And they, and they oppose that change, not realizing that like there are people out there who are, their whole life is built around change. Their whole life is built around just like, let's keep changing it. Let's keep playing different games you know, and that there, there's a beauty and like a, and a respect to that. Um, but like I said, I think the language he used was just such like a, like a beautiful way of capturing it. This is super great. Yes. It makes me think of, of how, um, and we kind of touched on this a bit before about um, understanding history of ourselves mm -hmm. and of, of our, in, in the context we're talking of our students, like when you're recognizing that everyone's coming from a different place. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, if we were not to accept that we could change, this would be a very, I think this is a very um, limiting perspective <laughs> on mm -hmm. the world and on ourselves. But also that in one of the last talks that Joseph gave when we were um, in Kalamata, but I think it was also included in Zero Forms um, teachings, was um, talking about being dislocated um, in terms of time. Mm -hmm. And he was talking about this idea of being too much in your past is going to block you in a certain way. Yes, mm -hmm. if you live only in your past, then we are we we can't move forward. But if we do the opposite and we just completely negate that that past was there, we're missing very valuable learning that can occur from the understanding of where we came from, mm -hmm. and and seeing that that distance is actually like a, a very good thing. That, ah, yeah, I'm so far over here now. Instead of thinking, oh, I'm a hypocrite, it's like, no, no, I've come that far away from that in turn or in different direction. And that's something to, to I think, hold as in high esteem or to be like, yes, I, I yes, I, before I was this and now, now I'm here. <laughs> like, right. not say like now I'm here, but like now I'm here. And, and also then there's the same idea about future. Like if we live too much in the future, Joseph was talking about, you know, thinking I need to be a champion. Uh, I think he used this context and maybe I'm going to just paraphrase here because I can't remember exactly, but like, I want to be the champion of this like um, marathon. So I'm going to, I'm going to, without any, with my blinders on, I'm headed in this direction. I'm going to be the champion of this marathon. And if we live for that future goal and ignore where we are in that present moment, when we're doing that, that also is going to cause problems because we're not listening um, potentially to what's happening in our, in our uh, present moment. Mm -hmm. And it's not to say we shouldn't have goals to get to, but it's when those goals completely block us from seeing um, the, like our own realities or our own, let's say zero, where we're, where we're coming from at that time. Cause mm -hmm. then we get into the, it's just troubles in general. Yeah. 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 It's like not, not respecting the here and now. And I think that so many people, I mean, obviously it's, it's a huge cultural issue because I think that people would say like, you know, the depression and anxiety have a lot to do with living in the past and living in the future as opposed to right now. Right. Yes. Yeah. Wow. The hot topic right now specifically because yeah. it's, uh, it's, it's, Time is, I think, different for us now in this moment. We ex we're experiencing time differently in ourselves, but also everybody's experience of the situation that we're in right now is going to be fundamentally different, depending on where you are, the restrictions you're being placed under, 
your access to certain things. So yeah, time is a very interesting thing to, to, to use as a universal because mm -hmm. everyone's experience of that is going to be so different. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. I don't know if that was, that was just a thought I had. Yeah. yeah well, when you, when you talked to me about time, um, I've said to people that we, we often don't respect that, like the way we experience time is different from anything else on the planet. Mm. Right. Like, you know, the way like a mosquito experiences time or, or, or a tree experiences time. And with this current scenario, you know, people keep wanting to jump into human time. Yes. You know, and talk about the virus in terms of human time, be like, oh, well, well, you know, it's Halloween or Christmas is coming. And like, well, <laughs> that's, that's a human time thing. That's yes. not like a nature time because we're actually doing, we're, it's a rare moment where actually we have to give up our understanding of time and almost live through nature's understanding of time in some way. Yes. I don't know what it all means, but I'm like, there needs to be a little bit more respect for that. I can, yes, completely. I was reading something about um, the idea of ambiguous loss, and I believe mm -hmm. it's like a psychology term. That's, mm -hmm. but I have just learned this 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 idea, and mm -hmm. so I'm going to probably make my own interpretation of it. But it's relevant to what what we're saying. That you know, ambiguous loss is usually used to reference when someone goes missing or let's say they were they died in a war situation, they, they were never recovered, something like this, where the ending of, of something mm -hmm. is not clear. So yes, you've lost that person, they are gone mm -hmm. from your life, but there's no closure on that. So that it's like they're simultaneously alive or dead at the same time, let's say, if we're using these scenarios, like um, Schrodinger's cat, you know, this idea that if there's this, you know, this philosophy of well, the cat is in a box, it's, do you know it's alive or dead? You don't know. It's right. both at the same time because you can think of it in both ways. It's mm. Philosophical detour. Yeah. But I, it's, it's relevant because it's like, we're not good at that. Mm -hmm. as, uh, we're not good at, at humans at dealing with ambiguous loss because mm. um, it threatens our idea of um, security and survival mm. and, and order. Because mm -hmm. when we have an actual loss, mm -hmm. then we can we have a way of processing that because it's, it's finite, it's ended. So we can move through it. We can have a ritual even around it to help us move through it. And um, when you have ambiguous loss, this is much more difficult because we don't have ways of, of dealing with this through um, without referencing some kind of experience of time because mm -hmm. time just continues and they're still in this nebulous way. So that when speaking of what we're in right now with COVID is that um, because we don't know when it's gonna end, we have this, this issue of, of not being aligned with time very well because mm -hmm. time is just, it, we, we can't plan in the same way. If you're mm -hmm. a planner like me, this is like, ah, <laughs> this mm -hmm. feeling of, you know, like, okay, I can't plan can't plan more than like a few days or maybe now a few weeks in advance, but like this, it, your plans could immediately be changed anyways. Mm -hmm. So it's dealing now, I think if we're speaking of this, this situation, dealing, finding ways to cope with uncertainty mm -hmm. of, of ambiguity mm -hmm. when things can't be, you know, in this sort of neat 
time package, how do you still continue? Basically, mm -hmm. yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. It's, it, I think it, it it makes people hopefully reconcile with with the reality that like we're we aren't something; we're part of something. Mm -hmm. You yes. know, and like you know, I think it's almost like once there's a little bit of that respect, maybe not an understanding, but at least like a respect. There's like a little more like openness to like, well, what is that? Like, yes. you know, like okay, I can like be in that kind of understanding of time for a little while. Yes. You yeah. know, because that's, I mean, I always come back around and say that like that respect or lack of is, is probably a big reason we're in the situation we're in and at where we're at with it. You know, if there was a little bit more of like the like, well, we are in it together. You know, you're in Toronto, I'm in Colorado, the trees outside my window it's all one package. You know what I mean? It's not like there, here, there. It's like, oh, it's all happening as one. You know, I think that I think that people just don't have the respect for that. And then they 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 can't be comfortable with the time issue. When there's the respect, it's like, oh, well, that's how it is. Like the way, you know, like in indigenous tribes would be like, well, like the 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 there's no hunting now because of the weather. And just being like, well, that's how it is. That's yes you know, because we are part of the thing. And like, well, when the organism gives us the opening, we will participate in that way. Yes, we are so used to changing our environment to suit ourselves rather than changing ourselves to suit the environment. You and hit so the nail on the head with that. <laughs> that is what it is. Yeah, mm -hmm. and you get so used to that. I'll, I can say an example, Joseph talks about um, kettlebells. Now I'm not against it any, I use kettlebells, kettlebells are great, but, What's interesting about it is that we've we've accepted that um, that we have set sizes, and so mm -hmm. I work with this one because it's five kilos, and this is what I would like to work with. Um, I know how to use this. I shape my my reps and sets around a five kilo kettlebell. Um, but instead, what if we didn't shape the tools to us? If we shaped ourselves to the tools. Hmm when I talk about the fighting monkey dragon pearl a little bit mm -hmm. in reference, because the dragon pearls are these hardwood balls that the smallest or lightest one, I believe is eight or nine kilos. They're, they're heavy and they're, they're in that way dangerous to throw around and play with, but they're not uniform. So actually this at eight kilos is kind of a guesstimate because there are, they range in size because they're all handmade and they're, they weren't weighed. Mm -hmm. But when I encounter as my body, one that's eight kilos versus one of the ones that's 15 kilos, my practice is going to look entirely different. <laughs> so I have to understand that, oh, instead of like being like, no, I can only work with this eight kilo one. I'm presented with the 15 kilo one. What can I do with it? What can I do with this that I have? I like that. I like the, what can I do? Like, it doesn't need to look the same as the other thing, but like, what is the thing you can do with that? Yes. That's very interesting to me. Yes. Yeah. And by, and it's not the, the fault of like a kettlebell practice or a kettlebell organization. It's just that we like to have those organizations. We like mm -hmm. to know what we can do with something mm -hmm. as opposed to being presented with something and be like, I have to now figure this out. Just right. Like, Na navigate it a little bit. Yes. Mm -hmm. yeah. That, that, I mean, it makes me, you know, think of whatever, even like, you know, climbing a tree, like the way that, 
you and I will approach it are two different things and the way you and I will approach two different trees are two different things. I think that, you know, you know, that is like the, the more of that respect in how we approach the world would, would be yes. interesting, valuable, like, you know, maybe life-changing. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I think this is actually another way of saying resilience practice because the person who faces a tree that has to get away from a bear and they mm -hmm. say, oh, I haven't practiced on this tree, so mm -hmm. I can't climb this tree. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's like, mm -hmm. no, you have, you learn how to climb a tree so that you, you know, you have the ability to climb trees, um, not that tree. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> climb trees in general. Right. Right. And in that instance, of course, that would be a survival thing, but right. it really, it's kind of a, it's a, again, resilience resilience in the face of something that would take away your health or uh, your capacity to live. Again. Yeah. Yeah. Do you, um, cause I don't want to take up too much more of your time. Um, although this is awesome. And I'm now I'm, I'm really looking forward to like when we can either visit Toronto or potentially move there, who knows what happens here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but um if people want to take class with you online, because I know that I, I see it, you've been posting that you do online classes. How can people do that? How can people uh, contact and, and access you? Yes. So at the moment I have um, an Instagram account that's very active and I also teach on IG live. Um, mm -hmm. so my, my handle is at um, LKB Schroeder. Mm -hmm. so that's my my handle and then i also have a group on facebook called inspire by fighting monkey with alka so this is where they can also go for all the information of my classes mm -hmm. and i'm doing different offerings um and they're going to keep pivoting depending on the nature of what we go through in the next while i've been going month to month and changing depending on what's what's um asked for. Mm -hmm. So I do um, multiple open classes um, on Instagram and Zoom that people can join by actually just their own contribution or donation. Mm -hmm. And then I have other intensive ones where they are um, um, longer sessions where we go more deep into um, the philosophy behind the practice, whereas the ones that are um, on Zoom and IG are practices where we move and we do, we do this online. Um, yes, and in Toronto, I'm, I'm offering outdoor classes and we're going through the winter. We're going to do all weather fighting monkey outdoor. <laughs> Good for you. So this, because this is what, again, this is what we have. So we're going to, we're going to do that. So yeah, but please, yeah, please message me. I'm super happy to, to, to talk with people, as you can see about yeah. this, this I love. So, well, yeah. well, we will keep the conversation going, I hope. Yes. Um, because uh, this has been really rich and I think that we have lots more to talk about. Yes, so uh, yeah, we'll continue our conversation. But like I said, when the opportunity arises, we will, we will be visiting Toronto. And as I said, there's always that chance that like, you know, there's an election next week. So <laughs> we may just be like, um, you know what, next Friday, maybe we're just heading to Toronto. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Come on in. <laughs> Killer. Well, yeah. I can't thank you enough for, for all your time and, and everything. This was amazing. Thank you. Feelings mutual. Super nice to talk with you about this. Yeah. Awesome. So we much. will talk soon. All right. Thanks. All right. Have a great night. All right. You too. Bye. Bye.